What's up, Coach Scott and Dave? Um, why are I, you? Why are you, Coach Scott, and I'm just Dave? I think he meant Coach Scott and Coach Dave. I think that's no, what he meant. No. Is it? Do you not? Do you not feel okay? Can I, let me? Okay, I. Oh, he wrote it again. He has a different question. Um, I'll read the other question. Let me read that one instead. He says, "What's up, Coach Scott and Coach Dave? Here's my question." I've read about 30 minutes of hit sprints burn about 800 calories. What's your take on that? I'm especially interested to hear what Coach Dave has to say. I believe you're lying. No, I swear to God. Skull? Swear to, swear to God. Hand on the Bible. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast with Dave Crossland. <laughs> All of our programming is brought to you by True Nutrition. You can use our code THINK at True Nutrition. Get some savings on high-quality third-party tested supplements. All the protein powders, carb powders, anything else you can think of, they've got it. Tons of flavors. Hit me up if you have any questions. And once again, use our code THINK. We are brought to you by evalbloodanalysis.com. Get your lab work done by Dave if you're in the UK. Other side. You got it. Good job. Uh, we are brought to you by Strong Sports Nutrition. Also, if you're in the UK, great health supplements and stacks, for, especially if you are on the special supplements, you should hit up Strom. And we're brought to you by supplementsource.ca for Canadians. Great deals that change week to week. And last but not least, thank you to Patreon. Thank you guys for helping to support the show. We're going to just jump into listener questions today. we got a bunch of Q&A that we're going to bang through. Anybody on the live stream here at the Facebook group, feel free to throw your questions in. But first, Dave... I had a question for you. How do we determine you pronounce this word? Hold on here. There it is. How do you pronounce this word? You've right. I, I told you I'm not. I'm not even trying it because we'll get shut down for me being racist. <laughs> I think it's Nigella. No, it's not Nigella. What did I say? Nigella. Yeah, Nigella. Yeah. Or Jenlin. Jen, Jinla, could be. Jin, I think that would be G-I. Anyways. Yeah, uh, but that's it, what I'm saying. So on these weird words, sometimes E's are I's, aren't they, and all the rest of it. Anyways, this is a new medication that Pfizer came out with. I wonder how this is going to affect the bodybuilding world. It What's is. It, it is. Uh, it's a growth hormone. It, but there's oh, something, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something different about it, though. This is a once-weekly Growth hormone analog indicated to treat pediatric patients ages three years and older who have growth failure. So that and bodybuilders, I think it would probably also work for us. How would that work, dude? Because imagine, like, think about think about using. Um, so basically, right now, growth hormone is like the equivalent of using, uh, you know, like test suspension. Right? You take it. It's in your system. Obviously, it's doing more. There's a cascade of hormones, IGF, down chain, and all that. But you, it's in your system, and then it's out of your system. It, you know, it has a relatively short half-life. Imagine the levels you could build up to with this stuff. Yeah, but I, I potentially think that might not make it suitable. Pff, the F it wouldn't. 
Why would it not no. be suitable to blow? Although, okay, maybe there would be a, a, an extensive need for long for like Lantis well, along so with that. Two of the two of the issues we we have with with GH exposure. One is insulin resistance, a down regulation of insulin sensitivity. Sure. Um, so I think that is potentially a problem here. That that sustained elevation. I mean, obviously, in a pharma setting, this is not going to be an elevation of GH. This is going to be a maintenance of natural GH levels. Yeah. But GH naturally is pulsed. You know, it's not a constant relief. Same as insulin. Insulin is pulsed. I personally am not a fan of Lantus because I don't like that baseline. I prefer to pulse insulin around when it would naturally pulse, i.e. when you eat. Yeah. Um, and I think that too much use of Lantus can potentially start to reduce insulin sensitivity for that same reason. You've got that sustained impact on the receptor. Now, I'm not sure if there's going to be any negative impact on insulin sensitivity with, with long-term GH exposure at a constant, but I would suspect there would be because obviously anything research-wise with that product is going to be based around maintaining natural hormone levels, not elevating GH hormone levels within an individual. So I, I personally feel GH is better used in a pulsed environment. I don't see a huge carryover to this being super beneficial for bodybuilders. Definitely super convenient. Can't know that. It will be very, very convenient. But I'm not sure how a sustained elevated plateau of GH is going to impact somebody sort of, you know, a month or so down the line. I will look forward to finding out. I think that this is going to be fantastic. Now, okay, milligram for units, um, what is... 0.66 milligrams as a unit. I can't do that that math publicly. I just two IU. wreck my brain. 0.6 is two IU roughly. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So one milligram is three IU. It's slightly Wait, different, but it's close. Point, but it says 0.66. So it's it's less than a half. It's a little bit more than a half a milligram. Yeah. So 0.33 of a milligram is one IU. 0.66 is two IU. Okay. So this dosing, though, that sounds that sounds off. I'm not sure, but it says the recommended dose is 0.66 milligram per kilogram of body weight administered once weekly via a subcutaneous injection. Well, you've also got to remember that from what I've read, this stuff is aimed at children. Yeah, yeah. Where GH levels are much higher. Okay, I mean, but we're talking really high. So, what is it? What does a kid weigh? And I mean, obviously, these kids are going to be. You've got, you've got, you've, you have kids, Dave. You know what kids look like, and you know what they weigh. You raised them. So, if we're talking a kid who's what, let's say, twelve years old. Well, let's take. What's a kid? What's a kid that's like this tall, standing? You know what I mean? Like, if you were, if, what, what, what were we like, saying, thirty kilos? Okay, thirty kilos. So, what's the math so on that? 60 60 IU. No, it's it would be it but it's 
0.66 milligrams which is, per kilo. Which is two, which is two IU. So two IU times oh, 30 kilos is 60 IU. Okay. So 60 so, IU. That's a lot 60, of freaking growth in a week, man. 60 IU or 20 milligrams. That's a lot of growth in the week, man. Yeah, but you've got to, I think you've got to look at it that you're not getting 60 IU of GH released into your system at one right. time. It's like when you take a higher dose of Lantus or a higher dose of test, it's trickling. Yeah. You're not, you're not, you're not getting 250 milligrams of test that first day. That's your, your weekly TRT allotment. So I get it. You're splitting that up, but if we're talking, I mean, that's almost 10 IU is like what eight IU, something like that a day. You know, that's a lot of you, that's a lot of if growth. You divide, if you divide that by seven, you're looking at four four point three IU a day. You said, but you said sixty. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was working off, so I apologize. I yeah, so almost yeah. almost ten eight, IU. Eight, we're talking eight, eight IU. Eight, about, yeah, about eight and a half IU a day. Yeah. That's a lot of growth, man. That's a lot of growth. I look forward to hearing when our uh, our listeners get their hands on, get their greasy little hands on this stuff. So I think that I think there's two things that you're probably going to find, and I think it's going to be very much like um, Increlix, in in that Increlix dosing to sustain and work for muscle wastage and everything else, and IGF deficiency is 0.04 per kilo twice a day. Yeah. Um, the doses, and then it goes up to as high as 1.2 per kilo twice a day. Yeah. Um, that dosing, I've never seen that repeated in a developed adult. Uh, one, from what I know, and there may be people out there that can correct me on this, when you start going anywhere near that dose and it becomes very, very painful, and I'm not talking injection painful, the whole body just starts to hurt. I can see that. Uh, and two, it's so cost prohibitive. Yeah. Because yeah, we're talking looking, thousands a week. Yeah, you're literally spending hundreds a day. Yeah. Uh, but that's how IGF-1 should be, should be dosed. And, and in my opinion, when people use Incredix and use IGF-1, the vast majority dose it way too low and get virtually nothing out of it apart from feeling a little bit fuller because they just cannot financially or physically absorb the cost that needs to be done to take it high enough to make it effective. Yeah. Um, in the way that the, the paper work would suggest. Yeah, Brandon um, says lots of guys on 10 IU a day, though. So 70 a week is not crazy. But I'm talking about, I, I, now I don't know what they dose kids at, but what I'm thinking is is most people aren't taking 10 IU. There are plenty of people that do. And back in the day, like 10, 15 years ago, I knew a ton of guys that were just doing a full yeah, bottle a day of 10 IU. It, we're talking kids, you know. it's, it's it, To me, that's just, it, it blows my mind at how much, well, you know, we're talking. Well, let's scale that up to a 240-pound man, and you're talking 30. It's a lot of growth. You're talking thirty, are you? Slightly more, actually. All right. Well, listen, uh, we got a we got a bunch no, of stuff here. You're going to look into this, right? I'm going to try. There's, from what I know, there's bugger old data on it, but I'll do my best. Yeah, there is very little information about this stuff so far. It's brand new. I'm sure it'll be coming out. By the way, guys, I've been putting the timestamps in the first pinned comment, so that way. 
it helps us to not put a lot of trigger words in the description that may or may not have a negative effect on our ability to bring our content out. Um, I think we should just change this to the podcast. The podcast. As in the only one. Yeah. All right. Hey, gents. <laughs> I thought this would have popped up on last week's Anadrol episode, um, but maybe it slipped through the cracks. No worries. He says, if taking 50 milligrams uh, pre-workout for performance purposes, would it also be beneficial to take a smaller dose, like 25 milligrams on your off days, so that the chemical stays saturated in your system? Thanks. Why not just take 50 milligrams on your off days? From So, most people say using orals as pre-workouts only on training days is because they are trying to minimize the impact on the liver. Yeah. The, the, the bottom line is the difference between doing three days or four days of 50 milligrams a day then one day not on your liver, it's not even worth bothering about. The impact's going to be virtually not. You know, there's not going to be very little change on how much stress your liver is put under if you have a day break once a week. Yeah. Um, so personally, and, and this is the other thing, we don't grow in the gym. Oxymethylone, anadrol, whatever you want to call it, has an anabolic action. It's an anabolic steroid. Its action is good as a pre-workout, yes, because it helps with contractile proteins and all the rest of it, but it also aids in recovery and growth, which happens away from the gym. Yeah. So its use on a rest day is just as beneficial to progress as its use on a training day. I've never... It's like the same with diets. I don't understand dropping calories on rest days. Because if I'm trying to grow, I need a shitload of calories. Yeah. Some people like to fine-tune it. I personally don't see the point, but like I said. I think that if you're going to use it intermittently, um, I've used it maybe, for a good intermittent use, might be three times a week. Um, I find that to be great. If you're going to use it as like a pre-workout only, um, we'll pick three workouts, maybe even two workouts. Heck, even in contest prep, I've had people use it, say, uh, just on their leg days, if they're somebody who tends to struggle with keeping the mass in their legs, I'll say, hey, let's throw in 50 Anadrol only on leg days. And there's kind of a mental if, boost to that too, you know? Yeah, if you're only using it in its pre-workout context um, as something to help get you through rougher days, then okay, there's some argument there. But if you're using it primarily for its anabolic value as part of a cycle, I'd just stick it in every day. Not yeah. every day, every day, but in the period that you're planning to use it for. Yeah, yeah. All right. We got a bunch of stuff here on the live stream. Um, okay, so I don't know who this is. It just says Facebook user, and we're doing our best not to put the questions up on the screen like we used to. He says, um, I'm on 350 tests per week. Astrodial is 95 PG per ml. Um, I am not taking any AI. My body fat is pretty low. My body fat is pretty low, like 15%. 
uh, I don't get any negative sides of estradiol, um, not even high blood pressure. Uh, it's between 125 to 130 during the day. Should I keep everything as it is and not care about the estradiol levels? It doesn't uh, have it if it doesn't affect my, or I think it means me. Yeah, I mean, there is something to be said for if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And even if you're returning high levels, but they're not affecting you, then I, I, I would be tempted to say I'd see no issue with leaving it well alone. Yeah. I mean, if you suddenly start to develop <clears throat> anti-estrogen-related issues, you know where it's coming from straight away because you've already tested and you know it's elevated, so you can act on it immediately. But... Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think you know we know estrogen plays a significant role in growth. We know it's 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 beneficial there, and if you can manage to run it higher with no negatives from that, then crack on. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, you know, Ron Partlow mentioned on the latest. Uh, it's just bodybuilding. He said, "Hey, you know, back when we when he had started, he said we didn't have AIs. He mm -hmm. said you just kept Novadex on hand, and if you're in an off season, you just." You expected to get bloated. He said, we walked around with a bloated face all the time, and it's just part of the game. He said, and if you ran into an estrogen issue, like you started getting some sensitivity in your nipples, and then you would use some Novadex to help correct that. But otherwise, there was zero estrogen control. There was, there was zero estrogen control on my first two cycles, as a matter of fact. There was zero estrogen control on both my cycles. Both? Nearly all of them, because yeah. I didn't have issues with it. I didn't mind a bit of water. I didn't mind the water retention. It didn't bother me visually. I wasn't I didn't, wasn't concerned about it, and I never got issues around sensitivity. Yeah. So I had no reason to control it. How about this one? Alfonso has a question on MCT and krill. He says, fish oil, MCT, and krill, uh, they all come in pills now. Do they do the same thing? No. No? Well, yes and no. The same so, thing I think he means is in as compared to a liquid is what I'm gathering. He says they all come in pills now. Do they do the same well, they, thing? They're gel caps, so they are effectively a liquid in a capsule. If you burst them, you will find it oozes a very thick liquid. But so, particularly with fish oil and krill oil. Um, Obviously, we know the benefits of fish oils. We know they're good for promoting HDL. We know they're good for brain cognitive function and all the rest of it. But fish oil is a triglyceride-based compound. It is not very easily absorbed by the body. The body doesn't particularly like absorbing triglycerides. And fish oil does not keep well. So it does actually, most fish oil you'll buy will actually be off. Uh, krill oil is phospholipid based, much better absorbed by the body, much more bioavailability and keeps much more effectively as well. So if I was to have a choice between fish oil and krill oil, I would go krill. You're going to get more bang for your buck from a point of view of absorption. And it's a more stable compound that keeps much better. Like I said, most fish oil that people take in a supplement form isn't actually fresh. It's technically off. Um, and, and you will find the krill oil will support you much, much better than fish oil does. Do you know what the dosing is like relative to fish oil for, for using krill? Because no. I've never used krill. I have looked at it, uh, but I can't remember. Okay. Um, 
but it was quite significant the improvement in absorption yes but i can't remember i did I, when when i looked at the two i looked at the bioavailability and the downstream effects of dosing of the two and there are quite a few studies out there comparing the two uh and i can't remember the data as in the actual facts and figures but i do remember it was noticeably different it wasn't marginal it was quite significant huh brandon says um how do they get the oil out of the krill i'm picturing a metric ton of krill getting oil squeezed out of it and it's kind of gross yeah it's kind of gross to think about like fish oil getting squeezed out of fish too you know they they milk the krill (laughs) that's that's how it works huh yeah you milk milk them so I'll tell you this, man. The uh, the number of people who if, are new clients well, that have come to me and they are taking fish oil. I ask them what kind of fish oil they're taking. They literally get the cheapest stuff they can find at the grocery store, and that's yeah. that's where you run into issues. Um, I use, I believe it's called uh, either Ultra Omega or Super EFA um, from Now Foods. And uh, I'll I'll post a link to that, uh, the description, the one that I use. I'll post like an Amazon link or something. Um, but that one is good. If you get, you know, you, you ever get, take a bunch of fish oil and then you start getting the burps. That's a good sign that your fish oil is rancid. You know, I take three to five grams a day and I never get any burps whatsoever. Yeah, but I want to look into krill. Like, You're going to look into krill? Oh, I, I recommend you actually look into something else. Just bear with me. Okay. Bear with me and I'll tell you How the you exact stuff. Extract krill uh, oil. Brandon, I'm going to look this up for you. Um, it'll be some form of mass pro- uh, processing, I would assume. Yeah. They use freeze dried krill, um, it enables one step extraction. <laughs> So they use chemicals to do it. There's an acetone and an ethanol that they use to extract it. So I guess they kind of mix it all up into a potion. What happens if I go to pictures? i tell you something that's very much worth looking at as well. Is Kalanis oil. Yeah? Yeah, so... Here you um, go, Brandon. It's Calanus finmarsius. Look at that. There's a krill oil extracting process. Probably much like you imagine, Brandon. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, there's an oil from Calanus finmarsius. Uh, it's Norwegian. Um, and... Uh, It's it's pretty impressive stuff, particularly around stuff like um, fat metabolism and insulin sensitivity. Really? Is yeah, it yeah. is it available uh, though? Yes, it is. Send me a link. I want to check it out. Um, I mean, not right now. After the show, we were um, trying to we're trying to do stuff here. How about this one? I was doing <coughs> stuff. I was doing research for our lovely viewers that you yes. ate. Question for and the next always- show insult when we're off camera oh. any advice for a mild cycle looking to put on some lean mass 
I have had gyno um, before, so I'm not super worried about it. Now removed. Uh, weight training for 10 years. He is 80 kilo, approximately 20%, 18 to 20% body fat, and he trains five times per week. Love the show. Mild cycle wise, I'd think maybe BMX or or sort of mountain bike. I wouldn't go for like a racer. I think that's quite an advanced cycle. You're funny, Dave. Do I have like a? That's best you can manage. <laughs> you know, I'm going to continue to say really bad jokes just to hear that sound because I like it. All right, I'll keep it on. I'll keep it on deck. Um. I'll tell you what, if he were to come to me and say, hey, you know, I really want to hop on a cycle. I want to work with you, blah, blah, blah. I would say, well, listen, man, we want to get you leaner first because you're already if he's if he's 18 to 20 percent, let's just assume that 18 to 20 is actually 20. OK, if not, maybe 22. Um, you you want to get leaner. You the, the leaner you are, the better your insulin sensitivity will be the better you'll be able to grow muscle, period. That's with or without gear. Right, Dave? I don't know. It's eight, 20% body fat in my book shredded, mate. So I don't know what <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but you know where I'm coming from, right? Yeah, it's mild. Is, the terminology is unfortunately extremely relative. Um, and what's mild for me yeah be mild for somebody else and i'm i'm what i'm meaning in that is all steroids have effects some of those effects we want some of those effects we don't want testosterone converts to estrogen that's not a side effect that's an effect of testosterone but in our scenario it's generally an unwanted effect if it's elevated uh, but there are certain scenarios where that would be a wanted effect so it, it's the, the issue is the impact of those effects on the individual determining whether a cycle is mild or not. For argument's sake, I have a history as an individual, not me, but this is an example. The individual has a history of low HDL, high LDL, has struggled with diet for a lot of his life. I wouldn't be looking at particularly putting that individual on Primo because Primo is going to trash his cholesterol levels even worse. Yeah. So that's somebody where Primo, regarded as a very mild steroid in everybody's book, isn't going to be mild for that individual because they've already got a history of poor cholesterol management and may already have arterial plaque issues developing. That's a great point. Um, so the mild element is very much in relation to the dose and the individual. There are certain drugs that we know are harsh in any environment. Halo. Yeah. Yeah. Trent, men. THB uh, to an extent is quite inflammatory. So there, there are compounds that we already know by their nature are going to be a little bit on the harsher side. But your bases like Test, Deca, uh, Mass are generally physically quite mild. I mean, DECA is anti-inflammatory. It lowers inflammation. From an actual physical impact, the drug is quite mild. It's problematic for people sexually quite often. Uh, and so there's another thing. If somebody has a level of importance around sexual function, I mean, some people don't really care if it goes a bit floppy. They're not bothered. 
other people it's yeah but it's it's very other people it's incredibly important to them is their sexual performance yeah so so then maybe Decker's not a mild drug for that individual because there is that risk element there that if it's mismanaged you're gonna have problems with sex so it's a very relative term to the individual yeah that's Um, a good way of putting it there are some obvious candidates that we just put over there straight away like like i've already mentioned halo trend that sort of stuff uh but the rest of it it, it's very much down to you your tolerances on the doses you're intending on running yeah in duration you know Mm. what might be a mild cycle right could be maybe not so good if you ran it for eight months or a year um I, i if he had decent cholesterol um, and I were in his situation, I might consider something. And I think for him, if he does want to run something, I get it. There's a, there's a motivational factor to running a cycle that let's say he loves, you know, he enjoys training. He wants to get into better shape. And then you start the cycle and he's like, okay, now I'm on. Now I really, you know, now I really want to focus and get the most out of this. Right. So mm-hmm. I could see maybe if you, we don't know if he's using TRT or anything like that, but a low dose, even 250 test, maybe, you know, a low dose, maybe 30, 40, 40 Anivar, something like that for eight weeks. You know, I think that doing that while also focusing on fat loss, you're going to grow in the process. I guarantee unless you just strip your food down so low that you're starving yourself. You know, if you're getting, you know, enough protein, uh, you know, gram and a half per pound, something like that of lean body mass, you're going to stay, you're going to be able to maintain muscle mass, if not grow because you're consistently eating protein through the day. You got the anabolics coming in. You're training hard. You're going to lose fat. You're going to grow at the same time. I just want to make sure my big take-home point to him is don't think that you need to bulk. Not at 18 20%. Like I said, just read it in my book. <laughs> All right. Um, how about this one? Question for the next show. Um, ooh, yeah. So this was Brandon... Brandon Wise is his that name. That sounded so wrong. Wait, what? That, oh, yeah, sounded so wrong. It just sounded oh, super yeah. perfect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, oh, yeah, Brandon. He, he messaged after this and Wearing he said, that shirt, I'm expecting you to turn up and fix me fridge. Dave does not like flannel shirts. For anybody who hasn't watched the show before, I don't know what his deal is. He's, he's, he sees the flannel shirt, and it's kind of like when a bull sees a cape. He gets very aggressive. Um, he did add, he said, my last name may be wise, but I am not living up to that currently. That was after the, after the question. He says, uh, Dave, what's the largest amount of oil that you have injected in one go? I don't understand how he did this. Okay, He said, did my morning injection while extra groggy and not wearing my glasses yesterday. I accidentally grabbed a 10 milliliter syringe instead of my usual three milliliter. So 1.5 Masteron turned out to be five milliliters of Masteron right into the glue. PIP was unreal, LOL. I don't get how you do that, Brandon. (laughs) He's with us too. And he said, here comes my great shame, LOL. I, I'm confused how you can mistake of syringe that is don't get it out effect- yeah it's sort of effectively that big yeah to a I'm syringe for- that is 
one that's like yeah one that's this wide versus one that's this wide right yeah (laughs) i don't have to see that to know which is which well it's not only that it's just the pure time you're taking to draw up five anyway um you know what i don't think i've ever gone two maybe two and a half mil max never three you never filled her up i struggled with i always struggled with injections from a point of view of sensitivity around the injection site so i never did particularly big shots but i would do lots of shots all over the place okay that's one of the reasons why i opened up so many sites was because i couldn't do big shots so you know i'd I'd do um usually i think two mil was about the biggest i commonly used but generally i'd stick to about a mil to a mil and a half my first cycle i didn't get three cc syringes i got i got five cc syringes which i could use i was doing like i think 500 test and um it worked but i you know what i noticed is after getting the three cc syringes it's a lot harder to push that oil through the larger syringe I was to say the other problem with the big syringes is the amount of pressure you create. Yeah, you can actually cause pain at the injection site because a, a ten mil syringe will create a much much higher pressure behind the needle, and therefore the oil entering the muscle will be entering at a much higher pressure. That does do tissue damage, um, and that can create a lot of post injection pain in its own right. Let alone the volume of fluid that's expanding the muscle tissue where it's been injected. That makes sense. He says, I've been working too many 12-hour shifts lately. All right. How about this one? Um, He said, my friend started HGH, two units a day. Two weeks in, in looks very water retentive. Will the water retention subside over time, or will he always have some water retention while on? It's a good question. A bit of both, really. Yeah, bit of both. You can see it improve as the body starts to adapt and adjust, but you can also see water retention long term with GH use. Everybody is different too. Um, somebody reminded me of this recently, years and years ago. This is like, this is ten years ago now. My friend VJ and I, uh, VJ, who we used to do a podcast called Bodybuilding Nerds Radio. He got... Uh, what he, happened to that? He, he wanted to stop. He was over it. Oh, okay. he, he wanted to like not be... Uh, he got rid of his social media, too. He didn't want to like be in the, the public eye. You know? you know what it's like being in the limelight, Dave? No. <laughs> so we went in on some growth. My point being that we, we got like 10 kits or something and we split it. So my point being that we knew it was the exact same growth, right? And uh, we both started two to three units a day. And two weeks in, I am telling you, every aspect of VJ was bigger. His head was like a half inch bigger on each side. His entire body was like an inch bigger everywhere. And I was like, holy crap, man, you're a super responder to growth. It turned out he just held a crap ton of water, man. And uh, it, it, it didn't work out well for him. And he couldn't, he, he discovered he couldn't run growth like on a daily basis. It just was, he just had some negative responses. It's too much. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is personal to a lot of it, yeah. All right. Um, put this one up. There's nothing incriminating in it. What's up, Coach Scott and Dave? Um, why are I, you? Why are you, Coach Scott, and I'm just Dave? I think he meant Coach Scott and Coach Dave. I think that's no, what he meant. No. Is it? Do you not? Do you not feel okay? Can I, let me? Okay. I. Oh, he wrote it again. He has a different question. Um, I'll read the other question. Let me read that one instead. He says, "What's up?" Coach Scott and Coach Dave, here's my question. I've read about uh, uh, 30 minutes of hit sprints burn about 800 calories. What's your take on that? I'm especially interested to hear what Coach Dave has to say. I believe you're lying. No, I swear to God. Yeah, Scott? Swear to, swear to God, hand on the Bible. Oh, how dare you, Scott, you blasphemer. Um, that seems high. I mean, it will obviously burn through calories much more than this will, but that seems high, 800 for 30 minutes. You would have to be doing some pretty, pretty hard hit to create that level of calorie burn. And, and bear this in mind that hit is not... You know, it's not a single thing. It's interval training where it's a period of max effort followed by a period of low effort. Those windows can vary. You can be doing 30 seconds max effort and two minutes low effort. That's still hit. Yeah. Or you can be doing Tabata, which is a minute hit and 30 seconds low, you know, and, and that's still hit. So um, the variance of what hit is is, is quite broad. Um, yeah. Most people start with a one-to-two ratio of hit to low and try and develop it to a one-to-one, and then some people will go the other way and go two-to-one. But I would have thought to achieve 800 calories burn in 30 minutes, you would have to be going some. I know that, from what I understand, hit cardio will allow you to continue burning calories through post, the day. Post. Yeah. So post, I wonder if it, they're figuring that as part of it, you know, possibly, but yeah, hit hit has a much far reaching, longer elevated calorific burn post exercise than listers without doubt. But I do think you can do 30 minutes. The average person can do 30 minutes of actual hit. Like that's a, that could be a lot of, you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like after eight to 10 minutes, my average client is gassed if they're pushing hard. Yeah, I mean, 30 is a is a pretty harsh hit workout. Um, but again, it's relative to the hit that you're doing. I mean, on the bike, I do 20-minute hit sessions. That's a lot. Um, Are you still doing that? I, I've picked it back up this last week. Okay. Um, but saying that, because I use Peloton, those hit workouts can vary quite significantly from, you know, quite long, low levels to quite short to batter style, all in one workout. So it's not a fixed hit workout in that sense. Gotcha. The, the hit intensity is varied throughout the workout. So there might be five minutes of literally to batter work, and then I might drop into a, you know, a, a one minute and a two minute low intensity rest recovery period. So, um, they are very varied on the peloton, which is why I cope with it because it 
keeps it changing and keeps it interesting. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, I would have said, and I would, unless you're specifically looking to be a sort of endurance athlete, I wouldn't see any benefit to extending it beyond 30. For most people, I find 20 is more than enough to, to give us a good calorific burn and also a good cardiovascular improvement. Yeah. Hey, speaking of cardio, I wanted to ask our listeners, um, do you have any experience with SR9009, also known as stenabolic? I've been reading about it. it like like carterine, it's, it's kind of um, promoted or purported to be like an exercise in the bottle much like carterine. Um, it, it apparently um, helps to increase mitochondria, which I'm, I'm interested in this. Uh, so if anybody has experience, comment below, please, and let me know what your dosage was. Let me know what your duration was. Let me know what your results were like from it. What did you notice? And let me know um, what uh, if there were any side effects that you experienced. I'd, I'd be yeah, curious. Yes. You have to be careful because you get too many mitochondria and they'll start coming out your nostrils and your ears like like spiders. Will they? Mm. I'll, have to, I'll keep an eye on that. That's why I, I won't know on the headphones. I'll come, they might come out in my nostrils. but uh. Yeah, and then what you have to do is you have to eat cake to offset that. So that's why I eat a lot of cake to stop my oh. mitochondria getting too high. Yeah, too, we don't want too much mitochondria, guys. <laughs> <laughs> How about this one? Mike says... Um, Hi, guys. And he uses quotes, so I'll use air quotes. I have a friend that is, uh, that is in his 50s, retired from competitive bodybuilding, did cycles up to 2.5 grams with all the bells and whistles. General health markers were all great, even when on cycle, except HDL, super common. Post-competition now on TRT with sprinkles. <laughs> another, another air quotes there, with sprinkles. Question is, would sport TRT, 250 a week, plus GH and insulin pre and post workout, two IUs GH with 10 IU slin pre, two IUs GH post, three to four times per week have a significant health impact aside from blood glucose looking for maintenance health and still be moderately jacked any issues to consider thanks there's experience experienced guy here no i i i'm <clears throat> I'm not as concerned with the prolonged use of insulin or GH within reason. Um, and I think its health impacts are minor. In, I would be more concerned with the prolonged use of anabolics at that elevated level. Me too. And a, a lot of it is around both blood thickening, though I appreciate that can be managed to some extent, and the the adulteration of lipids, which you've already said you have problems with it. Um, we are in an industry and an environment where the whole industry promotes excuses to enable more use of drugs. Um, and I don't have an issue with someone doing a sports TRT. 
What I have issue with is the whole it's TRT element of that. Because it's not. And that's the bit I have issue with in that I would rather people go, yeah, I'm currently running 250 test, 100 master, 150 primo, whatever the add-on is, um, as a low-dose cycle. Because that's what it is. It's not in any way, shape, or form testosterone replacement therapy. Never has been, never will be. Um, the reason I'm opposed to that terminology is because we associate TRT with health and medical, and that isn't what that is. That is you running a higher level of anabolics in between your cycles because of potentially several reasons. One, you've reached such a level of muscle mass that you are so far beyond your genetic potential as a natural that you require high-level anabolics. Not very common in most people. More commonly, two, you have developed a relationship with anabolics where there is a in, at least in part, a dependency there and that you feel that your muscle mass will be at risk if you don't have an elevated level of anabolics. Yeah. And that is more commonly a psychological issue rather than a physical issue. Or two, you are using drugs, which I don't suspect with this individual, you are using drugs as a crux because your training or diet are just not up to par and you know if you drop your dose lower, you will start to see negative impacts from the fact that your training and, and diet aren't up to par. Um, so they're the three sort of scenarios that I see this in. Um, that doesn't mean it's wrong, but I would just wish people would sort of see it for what it is rather than almost lie to themselves about the, the, the rhetoric behind what they're doing. Um, most people will have no risk to muscle mass returning their test levels to natural ranges if they are talking about a period of sort of six to eight weeks-ish between cycles. Where you start to see that muscle mass at risk is when you're proper TRT, so your maintenance of natural test levels is starting to extend beyond a couple of months, then you might start to see a little bit of a degradation in, in strength or possibly a little bit of a loss of muscle mass. Yeah. Uh, but most people's bridges between cycles are 8, 10 weeks, 12 at a push. In those scenarios, it's not too common to see a huge backward step in, in muscle mass unless there's something wrong with the foundation that you are currently having. So I agree on all this. Let me try to problem solve this with you for him. So if, mm -hmm. if let's say, so there are guys, like we had a guy comment on the last episode. He said, hey, my doctor prescribes me 300 tests and that keeps me in the normal range. So more hmm. power to you. We're going to assume if he's doing 250 tests, because that's the only anabolic he's talking about here, plus the growth in insulin. Let's say that the 250 pushes him out of range. Would it be reasonable then to say, hey, run that for 12 weeks and then come back down to TRT for eight. Yeah, but I don't sort of see the point. If you're going to have a, a down period, mm -hmm. just have a down period. What benefit is there to running that for 12 weeks followed by a period of natural? Why not just do a period of natural and then push back up into your next cycle? That's what I'm saying, though. He's, he yeah, doesn't want to do cycle. He doesn't want to do cycles anymore. 
All he oh, wants to sorry, do. I, I got confused. I thought yeah. the 250 was a bridge between cycles. No, no, no. He's done. He's done competing. But he doesn't want to. Yeah. He doesn't want to return to just being a normal looking guy. So he's saying, long term, he was thinking of doing sports TRT, 250 a week at test, plus some insulin and in, in growth around his training a few times a week. And what about right, then, sorry. if if that were to push him out of range, then what about maybe taking eight weeks? to clear out, come back down to real TRT, cruise there, and then go back up. Basically still use it as a cyclical approach. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. No, sorry. I, I, I thought the sports TRT was a bridge between cycles. I missed that bit. Yeah, no, it, he's retired in his it, 50s. Right. Then I would say, yes, the, T, the 250 is a cyclic stage. I would even say three to 400, maybe even five as a cyclic stage would still be okay if you are having a proper within natural range period in between. And I think that's the point. It's not really about the dosing. It's about where you are within your ranges. Yeah. You know, if if your ranges are, like you said, we, we, we had someone the other week who needed 300 milligram of test a week to maintain range. It may be that he needs 250 a week to maintain range. If that's the case, then crack on. I don't see any issue with it whatsoever. Yeah. But if the 250 is pushing him out of range, then I would minimize the exposure to that long term. Because we are talking at 50, we're probably talking another 20 years of use. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we get into the Chinese water torture scenario here where even a little bit of adulteration over that length of period of time is going to result in some pretty big negative impacts. And high hematocrit so, in your 50s and 60s, clots, all of that. I'd be more, you know, concerned the, with there's age. A, there's a greater risk aspect, yes. Um, if it's possible for him... It may be difficult depending on which countries he's in, both either cost pro prohibitive or just access prohibitive. Um, it may be, I would seriously consider trying to get an angiogram. Yeah. See where your plaque buildup is. Mm. See where you are now, and then you know where your risk level is for managing cholesterols and lipids moving forward. Okay couple more. We had a guy ask uh, how to uncrash injectable D-ball. He says, I've tried hot water and a hairdryer on high and it won't budge. Huge crystals on the bottom. Um, would like to avoid the crystal and pain. So I messaged him back and I asked how long had you heated it up for? And it sounded like it was only a couple minutes. But I figured we could use this as a question, though, to help anybody else. Um, how would you go about uncrashing something? Normally, I'd stick it in the oven and I'd leave it there for a good 15 minutes. Uh, as a stopgap, if that wasn't available, boiling water, uh, but I would probably do a couple of boils and soak it, you know, let it cool a little bit, reboil, put more water in, let it cool a little bit. So it had an extended exposure to heat. The problem with crashed is you can look at it and it looks like it's gone back into solution but there'll still be some relatively big crystals floating around in there, just not big enough for you to see with your naked eye, but big enough to hurt like buggery when you inject the salts. Yeah. So um, can you explain the process of, of the oven? How does that work? You open the door, 
you put the violin, you close the door, you turn it on. Okay. The way I'll do it is like this. I put it on a baking tray so that it's not just sitting there loose in the oven. Yeah, obviously. Obviously. I thought these would be fairly Right. That's why I'm going all the way to the basics here. And then I'll have the vial standing up and I'll vent it as well to let off any pressure that's going to build up in the pressurized vial. I've never had a problem with pressure, actually. But I had so neither. That's not something I've ever considered. I had neither, but it's, right, it's now, what I had learned. Right, how do you vent it? Because I don't... How do you vent it? With a with a, a sterile needle. What about the plastic tip? It hasn't melted. Hasn't it? No. Yeah. Okay. What temperature do you put in the oven, then? Whatever the lowest temperature is. I think it, I think it might be 200, something like that. I was going to say, I'd be looking at at least 200 Fahrenheit, yeah, because um, the compounds are actually, from a heat point of view, quite tolerable. Yeah. I've done the other way, you, too. You can't give them quite a bit of heat. With a, I tried, somebody had suggested put it in a plastic bag. That way you can more, when you put when you dunk it in water. So you get your boiling water, you put your, voil, your vial in there in a plastic bag. That way you can pull it back out. But I find the plastic bag melts. So... I just drop it in there and then pick it up with a ladle and with a heavy glove on uh, 10 minutes in boiling water and take it out every couple minutes, shake it real thoroughly for 60 seconds and drop it back in 10, 10 minutes total in the you know, water. You know, there's a thing called tongs. They're like plastic things. You can use them on salads as well. And, and you can actually grab your vial with those to put it in and out of the water. Yeah, I probably didn't have those at the time. I was probably a bachelor. You know, I can't remember when I did it, but I, I was lucky to have, like, a ladle. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's a few ways. But oven, to me, would be the most robust. Boiling water would be, if I was in a pinch and had no other choice, I wouldn't have thought a hairdryer was going to get it hot enough to fully dissolve crash but then it would depend on the compound as well so stuff like dhb is a get to stay in suspension um so i would definitely be looking at something with dhb with a bit more heat applied to it one little word of warning let it cool before you <laughs> inject it yeah don't just go from the fact that it's been suspended and draw and think, right, okay, I can whack this in and also check it hasn't gone back into a crash when it's cooled because if it has, then you're just going to have to throw it and start again with something else. Well, if you get some benzyl benzonate, you can re you can add a small amount, you know, and I would just add a the the minimal, you know what I mean, and and see if that would help to to dissolve it. You could do that as well, yes. Um, that might be a little bit painful depending on how much you put in and who you are. Yeah. I've also used just more sterile oil as well to, to give, you know what I mean? And then I've changed, obviously, how many milligrams per milliliter it is. But I've taken test that was, say, 300 and turned it into, like, 225 or, you know, something like that. you got to have more sterile mm -hmm. vials around if you have a full vial, though. Um, we got, I think, one more here. We might have one in the live stream, too. Uh, serious question. Has Dave stopped using? And if so, why? Why, Dave? This must be a new listener. But that means if he's wondering, there's probably some other new listeners, too. I haven't used for, I'm thinking, probably seven years now beyond correct TRT. Um, I keep my test level around the 20 end mark. 
2022, somewhere around there. That's what I sort of aim for. Um, and I've, I've used Enthensip and currently using Pharmasust for, for that process at the moment. Ooh, fancy. Uh, um, but um, I don't use anymore for several reasons. Um, one is health problems that I have caused. Um, but the other thing is, and this might surprise a few people, I have no need to. And it's as simple as that. For me, anabolics were always a tool. They were a tool to provide a service in order to achieve a task. Um, I have no intention or interest in, in being muscularly big. Um, so I have no need for that tool. You know, I mean, any mass that I maintain or carry is through what would be as close to natural training as I can achieve because I'm on TRT. Um, and, and I have no desire to increase that in any way, shape or form. So I have no use for anabolics. Fair enough. What's wrong with that? Wasn't a bad joke. Boo! No, the idea that you're not, you know, on gear anymore, and you don't want to use gear anymore. Boo! It's not. It's not. I don't want to. It doesn't go that far reaching. It's just a case of I don't need to. <laughs> I understand. I understand. I'm just messing with you. Um, people really enjoyed the uh, the the segment last week where we uh, talked, spoke with Uncle Davey, and you you talked about how time was important to you now and it was more valuable to you than money uh and because you recognize you don't have as much of it left and a lot of people connected to that that's what you said your words yeah yeah well yeah but i i probably have a little bit less than i should have let's put it that way <laughs> <laughs> um do you, do you have I, any uh, I, uncle davy advice for us this week i do actually but it's more for the younger ones oh okay but I don't suppose you're ever too old to to do this. I, and I think most people, not everybody, some people aren't wired this way, but, but um, in my younger days, I was very conscious of, of what my peers thought of me. Yeah. Uh, I, and there was no doubt that the opinion of my peers had an influence in how I looked physically, but also in things like what car I drove and stuff like that. I was particularly bad for vehicles, and I never, but I was never particularly bad for clothes for some reason. And that was probably due to the fact that designer labels didn't tend to fit anyway, so <laughs> I had no need to wear them. It just wasn't an option for me. Um, I look back now, uh, and going, suppose on a little bit to, to the, the stuff we touched on last week, if I had been in any way, even semi-sensible financially, when I was in my twenties and thirties, I would be retired now. Yeah. I wouldn't be a rich man by global standard, but I would definitely be in a financial position where I could retire. But I was more interested in driving the nice car. I was more interested in what people thought of me because of the vehicle I drove. Yeah. 
and I've always had a soft spot for cars, I must admit, <laughs> when if I look back at the money I've wasted on vehicles, just that money alone invested in a property or something of that nature, I would now be sitting on probably just in, in, in property half a million pounds of asset. Um, and that isn't hard to achieve with a couple of houses from the period of time we're talking. So we're talking 30 years. You know, I could have bought a house 30 years ago for 70000 pounds on a mortgage, rented it out, and I'd be sitting on a house that would probably be 200 plus now. Sure. With the mortgage paid off and the rental income coming from it as well. So, uh, yeah, the, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and it just dawned on me that, you know... Uh, more sense when I was 20 to 30, just a 10-year period, mm -hmm. would have transformed my life now. And when you're 20, 50 seems a, a century away. Yeah, because it's more than you know, twice as long as you've been alive. Yeah, and 50-year-olds and are very old people, and they're looking, getting ready to die, and yeah. you know they're done. They don't have a life. They don't want to do anything at that age. They're that old. They're going to bed at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. <coughs> The reality of when you get to 50 is you're actually still quite young. You still have a lot of things you want to do. You still have a lot of aspirations. Uh, and I could have been in a very different position if I'd just checked my ego at the door, so to speak, and done some very basic and not particularly complex financial investments in my 20s. I mean, I Absolutely. bought my first house when I was 22. If I'd held on to that, which I could have done, there was no reason for me to sell it when I did, apart from the fact that I just took the cash out of it. If I'd have held on to that, I would be sitting on a, a decent chunk of change now in, in property equity and and could have possibly very easily in the last 30 years used that equity to purchase another house, which would have then become equity. And, and it would have had no real impact on the enjoyment of my life up to this point. I agree with you 100%, and I, I feel the same way, um, but I will say this, that I also don't want to discount the level of experiences that somebody gets in between their, say, 20 and 30 years old. There's a lot of great experiences. You're, you know, at this point now, you're most likely independent, right? You're out, out of your parents' house, unlike as a teenager, right? And you have the ability to explore the world. And I think it is important to be able to take those opportunities. And it's a great time to say, do stuff like travel. You know what I mean? And, and yeah, but as you get older and you have more responsibilities, then you don't have as many opportunities to do those things, you know, at the level you can in your, in your early, you know, in your twenties. So I would say so also don't, there is don't miss out on, having a life that you could write a movie about, you know? And, and I think it's important to have those experiences. Is there a trade-off? Absolutely. You can't have it all. But, you know, if, if you were to take the extremely um, you know, conservative route, then you may miss out on some of that stuff. So there, I think there's a balance to be struck in there. Yeah, but I'm, I was, my point was more on putting money into egotistical, materialistic things that aren't really giving you any value. I gotcha. Apart from image. I gotcha. Uh, there is a cultural and experience value to travel. I get that, definitely. But at the same time, you could also argue that by the time you're 45, 50, 
you could still do that travel and actually appreciate it much more for what it is culturally and experience-wise and everything else that come with it, yeah. because by that time you have the maturity to understand the significance of what you're experiencing. Yeah, I do have a lot more of that now. Like, I, I got to do some Rob. cool stuff in my 20s and go to a lot of really crazy places that a lot of people haven't had the opportunity to see. But looking back at that, I, I didn't I didn't appreciate it the, to the level I do today. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, you could, you could travel all over the world in your mid-20s and then now turn around and say, yeah, I've got pissed in more places than you have. <laughs> uh, I've been drunk here, here, and here, where, you know, you travel in your late 40s and 50s and you would probably be much more appreciative of culture, heritage, history, everything else that comes with that travel. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm not saying it's wrong or right. I just, for myself, realise that, and I don't, the thing is, I don't regret anything I've done. Uh, in the yeah. slightest, I have no regrets about the drug abuse, the health problems, any of it. Uh, I have no regrets about dying. I have no regrets about racing monster trucks. I have no regrets about anything. I have regrets about the harm and hurt I've caused people along the way. Mm. But I don't regret any of the impacts on me because they've made me who I am today. And I quite like who I am today. I can relate to that. Yeah, I can relate to that. There was one other thing I was going to say. Yeah, so I, you know what? And I do think that as you mature, you care less about what other people think. I'll be honest with you, man. I don't think that we would do this podcast if I was overly concerned about what people thought. Because I say some stupid crap on here sometimes, and I act all silly, and you know all that. Like you gotta, you know, you you gotta not care in order to do that stuff. And I, it, you know, you see people too, other shows. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I can't think of anything offhand and I wouldn't name people to call them out, but you see people that really try to put on a certain image. You know what I mean? When they're, when they're in the public eye. Um, I think that's what I enjoy that's about this is we just do this and have fun. And really, man, I don't care what people think. And we get negative comments sometimes. I just, it doesn't bother me. No, I went through a stage of being, uh, I wouldn't say hypersensitive, but at least being aware and sensitive to the social comments that my impact online was having. I very quickly learned to deal with them and realized that they just weren't of any value. Yeah. Um, I, I think the biggest lesson I ever learned in life was just learning to, to accept who I was. Uh, and then from that, I could decide what I wanted to change and what I didn't want to change because there were definitely aspects of me in the past and of me today that, that aren't great, but I'm at peace with them. Um, and I think because I'm at peace with them, they're not problems for me anymore. Um, and and I, I try to live in honesty, um, but that can often upset people and, and a lot of people in, in, in life just can't cope with honesty. They, they literally just can't deal with it. So it's okay being honest around yourself, but you then have to be a little bit tempered when it comes to other people because they're just, even you know people my same age, they just aren't ready to hear that. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, honesty isn't positive or negative. It's just simply true. Um, you attach that positive or negative connotations to it. I mean, for example, that shirt is absolutely frigging hideous. <laughs> whether you, you you may love it, that's fine. There's not a problem. Obviously, it's still hideous, but whether you like it or not isn't an issue. 
I knew you're going to say something when I put it on too. Dave, people, we're I'm I'm just going to tell you something now. So Dave thinks that flannel shirts are only worn by hillbillies. I said it. No, I don't. Yeah, you do. Or rednecks. No. It's okay to be a redneck, but I'm not one, I, apparently, obviously. I, I, I like rednecks. I think if I was American, I, I may even be one. <laughs> Every time you say bye at the end of the show, you sound a little bit redneck. Yeah, I, I, I apart from, I do believe, and I'll be corrected if I'm wrong in this, um, that there is an element of religion with a lot of rednecks. They are quite God-fearing folk. Yeah, there is a lot more. There is a lot more like churches and stuff, Baptist churches and stuff down south. Or I, I, I think and so. Country music is also very popular. Country music is popular, especially in the south. Yeah, I, I'm not doing them too. Can you have a drum and bass redneck? Is that possible? I don't know. I mean, but I I don't really listen to a lot of the modern music, especially country. But there's like the country nowadays is not the country that I knew as a kid. Like it's. The, it's like pop music, you know. It's it's got some it's got some beat to it and stuff nowadays. Hmm. But I mean, I like trucks. I don't know about NASCAR. I never experienced it. I, I like V8s. But you don't I, like I flannel like shirts. You don't like flannel no. shirts. They won't accept no. you. Then you won't be accepted. Just, well, it's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, this is a good segment. Uh, we appreciate you guys watching and um, leave comments for the next episode. We'd appreciate that. And of course, you can reach out to Dave for coaching. Although you're going on vacation, so are you taking new clients at the moment, or what's your situation? I am taking new clients, but I'm more taking names and numbers, so to speak, for January starts. Okay. Okay. That's I mean, if someone wants to start with me now, that's fine, but just bear in mind in 13 days. I am getting on a plane to go see Vigorous Steve and eat Thai beef salad and wash elephants' bums. And as a result of that, there will not be a lot of coaching going on. There will still be coaching going on. I'm still taking a laptop. I'm still going to be working, but it will just be reduced. You're not taking new clients at that time, most likely, which makes sense. Yeah, well, all they're going to get is a chat and, right, okay, and possibly a bit of training, but there's not going to be a huge amount done for them, unfortunately. All right. You can reach out to me, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. Of course, go to our awesome sponsors, truenutrition.com, and use our code THINK for additional savings. Uh, go over to Strom Sports Nutrition. Shop with them. They support us. We support them. EvalBloodAnalysis.com. Get your lab work done by Dave if you're in the UK. Uh, SupplementSource.ca for Canadians. Great deals that change week to week. And thank you to everybody from Patreon. You guys freaking rock. For another episode of Drugs and Stuff, oops, I said it. With Dave Crossland, I'm Scott McDaly. We'll see you soon. Say bye, Dave. Say it the way you always say it. Bye. I swear, that sounds very Southern. Bye. <laughs>